We've had a wonderful song service. I want to thank Nathan for his prayer on my behalf, and it is also my prayer that I can continue the edification process this morning as we begin to talk about the Word of God. As we consider a faith that pleases God, I want to talk about Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. It says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. As you talk about faith in the Bible, there are a lot of opinions in the world about what faith is and what it looks like. Some people say faith just means that we believe in God. Some people say that faith is an individual thing that we have to determine for ourselves. Uh, And my faith may look different than yours and Each one of us has to decide what faith is, and I can't tell you what faith is, and you can't tell me what it is. An atheist would say, well, faith is simply a blind belief in a God that doesn't exist, and that it's just a crutch to help us get through life together. And I think there are nuggets of truth in each one of those beliefs, even the atheist belief that it's a crutch. Yes, our faith does help us get through life. That's why God is there for us, to help us. Obviously, the belief in God is a parting of the ways on that part for us, but we understand that. And faith is, part of that is believing in God. And part of that is finding your own faith, not saying that it looks different than someone else's, but finding your own faith in God and not relying on someone else's faith. All that's true. But I think we tend to overcomplicate faith, as in many things. This, these concepts of what faith is and how it applies to our salvation and our relationship with God, the world tends to overcomplicate things. I talked several weeks ago in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, and that chapter starts out with talking about leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ and moving on, maturing and growing. One of the things the writer lists there as the foundational elementary principles is faith towards God. So faith isn't complicated, and there are many, many, many scriptures in the Bible that talk to us about what our faith should look like. And the entire book of Hebrews chapter 11, in fact, is we call it the faith chapter or the heroes of faith. And we can learn a lot from faith from reading that chapter. But if somebody asks me what I think faith is or is there a one verse definition of faith, I go to Hebrews 11 and six because I think this verse contains what we need to know about faith in its essence and in its purity. And certainly there's more we can learn and build upon. But I think the definition of faith is built into this verse. And what I wanna do is take this verse apart and and sort of break it down and talk about its individual parts and how each one of those things impacts and gives us a faith that is pleasing to God. And I hope to be able to do that for you today. So back in our verse, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Let's start there. Now I have listed on my outline here, without true faith, without a true faith, because I believe that's in essence what the writer is saying here. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Let's leave the discussion a minute about what faith is and what it really looks like. And I think we can all agree universally that faith is a necessary requirement when it comes to pleasing God. We can't please God without faith, no matter what that looks like. We read in Acts chapter 26, verse 17, as Paul is giving his account to King Agrippa of his own conversion, Paul is quoting Jesus here in verse number 17. And Jesus said, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So he's using the word sanctified here, which means set apart. And what that means is that we are set apart or we are forgiven of our sins by faith in Jesus Christ. 
He told Paul, I'm gonna send you to the Gentiles. You're gonna turn their, you're gonna open their eyes. You're gonna turn them from darkness to light. You're gonna turn them away from Satan to the power of God. I wanna forgive their sins and they'll be sanctified by faith in me. So we start to see a narrowing of the scope a little bit here of what faith is or what faith looks like. Number one, Jesus said, you're sanctified by faith in me, by faith in Jesus Christ. And we're gonna touch on that more as we go throughout the study this morning. But I want you to consider Faith is a requirement, but not just any faith. And we start, start to see a narrowing of that definition. Number one, it includes faith in Jesus Christ. We read in Romans chapter five, verses one and two. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we're seeing words like justified or access by faith into grace. Justified means to be made right. So we're made right in the sight of God by our faith in Jesus Christ. He again specifies here and and indicates that faith has to be through Jesus. And he says, through whom also we have access by faith into that grace. Now, when you start talking about faith and you dig into it very much, you're gonna start coming across words like grace and works and how all that intermingles and works together. And we're gonna get into that. But Notice what he says here. We have access by faith into grace. It is through our faith that we have access to God's grace. God's grace is nothing more or less than his desire to save us. It's his favor that he has towards us. He wants us to be saved. And that grace has been extended to us through the form of his son, through the gospel. And we have access to that grace by faith in Jesus, by having faith in the gospel. So that's how we access it. So think about it in these terms. When I got to the building this morning, the door was locked. I don't have my keys with me right now, but I had a key. I used a key to open the door and get in the building. And so the key was my way to access the building in which I now stand. And that's what Paul is saying here to the Romans. Your faith is a key to the grace that God has extended to you. We access God's grace by having faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not just any faith. It's not just a faith that we determine that it's sort of this nebulous idea of, well, whatever I think is faith, it's faith. It's more than that. It's a true faith. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the church at Corinth had a problem with, or at least some of the people there had a problem with believing in the resurrection from the dead. There were some that didn't believe that. In chapter 15, beginning verse number 16, Paul says, if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So these people, there were some that said, hey, there's, there's no resurrection from the dead. When you, when you die, you're dead all over, just like Rover, right? There's no resurrection, there's no afterlife, you're just dead. Paul said, if that's what you believe, you've got a serious problem. Because if the dead don't rise, Jesus didn't rise. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you've still got your sins, and what are you even here for? And he told him, your faith is futile. That word futile means useless. Your faith is worthless. So we see it's possible to have a faith that is not pleasing to God. A faith that is dead or a faith that doesn't work or a faith that doesn't please God like these people had. He's telling them the resurrection, your hopes are pinned on the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, you have no hope. And therefore, your faith is not founded in truth. It's founded in something else that is not useless. It's not pleasing to God. So therefore, he goes on to say, without faith, it is impossible. So without a true faith, 
it's impossible to please God. We've gotta have that faith, and that faith has to be founded in something real. It's possible for us to have a faith that's not pleasing to God. And so let's go on to look at what that faith that is pleasing to God actually looks like. Number two, he who comes to God. We have to come to God. That's part of our faith. It's important for us to understand this, I think, what it means to come to God and what role that plays in our faith. For he who comes to God, God has made provision, and as we've already said, for our salvation. He's extended his grace in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. He wants us to be saved, and he's made that possible. He's given everything that he can to make that possible. But we have to come to God to receive that. Remember, our faith is the key that accesses that grace. And we have to come to God, and we have to come to God on his terms. Several months ago, uh, Brother Mark Parkhurst was here, and he, I was talking to him after one of his sermons. He had used the example of the prodigal son, and he said to me, he said, it's amazing how often I can go to that story and find application for so many aspects of how we live our lives. And it's the first thing I thought of as I was thinking about coming to God. In Luke chapter 15, verse 18, the prodigal son said, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So as the prodigal son came to himself, he woke up in the pig pen that day and said, I'm hungry and I'll take whatever the pig's having. He realized what kind of situation he was in. And he said, I will arise and go to my father. Now the father was waiting and he was willing and he was glad when the son returned, but the father did not go out into the far country looking for the son. He did not go out and grab him by the scruff of the neck and drag him back home. It was the son's decision. He woke up and said, I will arise and I will go to my father. And it wasn't, I'll go to my father and say, hey dad, let's pretend like none of this ever happened. I just wanna be your son again. He didn't set the terms. He said, I want to go to my father and I'll just say, hey, just make me a hired servant. I'm just hungry. I'm cold. I need a place to sleep. I just want to come home. And whatever that looks like, I'm fine with that. He didn't try to set conditions. And when he did come home, the father was there. The father was waiting. The father fell on his neck and he kissed him and he gave him a hug and he put a ring on his finger and a robe on him and he killed the fatted calf and he said, my son is home. God wants us to be saved, but he's not gonna grab us by the scruff of the neck and make us be saved. He's not gonna force us to be saved. We have to make a conscious decision, a free will decision to come to him, to accept the offer of grace that he's given us. We have to make that decision ourselves. He's given us the free will to do that, and he sets the terms. We can't come to him on our own terms. In Hebrews chapter seven, verse 24, it says, but he, speaking of Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. God sets the terms that we are able to come to him. We can't go to God and say, well, you know, we sing the song sometimes, Just As I Am, and I like that song, and I think it's appropriate if you take it into the right context and mean the right thing. But we can't just go to God and say, God, save me just like I am. God loves me like I am. No matter what I do, God's gonna love me. And I'm gonna come to God on my terms. That's not how it works. We come to God on his terms, and one of those terms is that we come through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. It has to be through Jesus Christ. It has to be on his terms, not our own. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, listen to what God said to the people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Classic conditional if-then statement. God is setting the terms. He's setting the conditions. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, if they pray and seek my face, if they turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear, then I will forgive, then I will heal. He who comes to God must come to God on his terms. And that's an integral part of our faith. And we have to understand that when we come to God, we have to humble ourselves. We're submitting to him. We're giving up what I want, what I think is, is right. And we're saying, God, I'm giving my, we're the prodigal son coming home. Whatever it takes, whatever it looks like, whatever it takes to be part of your household, that's what I want to do. I want to give myself to you and whatever that looks like, you set the conditions, God. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is. What does it mean to believe that God is? For a long time, I just thought, well, that just means you believe that God exists. You believe in the existence of God. You think about it, that's, that's a sort of obvious thing, obvious part of faith, I suppose. You could call that a prerequisite to faith. But if you don't believe in God, why are we even having this discussion? Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. It's no great thing to believe in God, right? There's, there's far greater evidence to prove the existence of God than not. It takes more faith to not believe in God, in my opinion. You know, James said in James chapter 2, You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So let's put a pin in that faith without works thing. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. But the point of this verse is saying, listen, it's no great thing to say, well, I believe in God. I believe God's real. He says, even the devils, even Satan believes in God. The devils, the demons that, re that rebelled against God, they believe in God and tremble. And this verse, to me, drips with sarcasm. James like, oh, you believe in God. Oh, great, good job. Well done. Big deal. It's no big deal to believe in God. And so, yes, obviously, belief in God is, is, is necessary, but that's not what faith is. And when he says, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, he's not talking about simply believing in God or believing in the existence of God. I think he means much more than that. In Exodus Chapter three, in verses five and six, as, as Moses is approaching the burning bush and God is speaking to him, listen to what God says. Verse number five, draw, draw not near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Let's stop there a second. Moses is approaching this burning bush and God says, wait a minute. I want you to understand the serious nature about what you're doing here. This is holy ground. I'm God. You need to take off your sandals. You need to recognize, does God really care about Moses' sandals? I don't know. I think it was just the, the, the attitude of, I want you to realize what's going on here. This is holy ground. I'm God. He goes on to say in verse six, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. I think this is what it means to believe that God is. Not simply that God exists, 
but that God is wanting Moses to know, I want you to recognize who I am, Moses. I want you to recognize my power, my authority, all that I am, all that I can do, and all that I will do, and I want you to recognize that and acknowledge that. I did a quick search in my Bible software of this phrase of I am the God or I am the Lord God, different variations on that. And I found approximately 170 times in the Old Testament where God, speaking to his people, said this. Most of that is in Genesis and Exodus, approaching the patriarchs, approaching the different people saying, acknowledge who I am. I am the Lord God. I am the God of your father, Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. As he approached Pharaoh, God told Moses, you tell Pharaoh, I am the Lord God, and I will bring this plague upon you, and this plague upon you, and this plague. Every time God brought a plague, he said, you tell Pharaoh, I am the Lord God. He's going to acknowledge who I am. He's going to recognize my power. And when we translate that into our faith, the faith that must be through Jesus Christ, what does that look like? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus is all these things. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is all of these things. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the lamb of God. If we're gonna come to God in a faith that pleases him, we have to understand who he is, not just that he exists. We have to understand his power and his majesty, that he is all-seeing, that he is all-knowing, that he is all-powerful, that he is all... We have to acknowledge that, and we have to trust in it because that is what our salvation hinges upon, the power of God to save us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so he that comes to God must believe that he is all of those things, not just that he exists. Number four, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What I think with these last two points, or this point and the previous point, what we see is, I think, a two-part definition of faith. Part one, we must believe that God is, that he exists, and that he is all of those things. And part two, we must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Going back to James chapter two, you believe there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. It's not enough for us to not only believe in God and believe all that he is, the devils even do that part. We find examples in the New Testament when you know, the devils came, uh, Jesus came across a man who was possessed with a demon and the demon recognized Jesus as the son of God. They acknowledge that. They know his power. They know his majesty. They know what he's capable of and they tremble because of that. I wouldn't say that a demon has a faith that can please God. So there's more to it than simply acknowledging that. There's understanding and realizing the fact that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And if we want a faith that pleases God, we need to diligently seek God in our lives. We read in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17, God said, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. I just realized I might have made a mistake with this verse right as I read that. And I want to apologize up front because this verse, I believe, is talking about wisdom. This isn't God quoting, this is wisdom. And so I'm human, just like everybody else. So I want to apologize for that. Uh, this is not a promise of God seeking him and finding him. This is a promise that if we seek wisdom, 
we will find it. So this verse has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I just realized that. Sorry about that. Hope you'll forgive me for that error in judgment. Okay. The promise still stands, though. God said in Hebrews eleven six, he rewards those who diligently seek him. Okay? So that's the purpose of what we're talking about now. So what does that look like? What does it look like to diligently seek God? How do we go about doing that? What does it look like? We read in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is where our faith comes from. This is how we seek God. We go to the word of God. And this has always been the case. I know that the Bible in its current form has not always existed, but God has always given his word to his people. Hebrews chapter one talks about the process of that throughout time, through the ages, how God and in various ways in the past has appeared. He's, he's given us his word you know, to the fathers, to the patriarchs. He's given to, directly to the prophets and so on and so forth. Now you and I have the word of God in written form. And many people say, well, I just want God to, to show me the way, to tell me, to appear to me. I wanna pray to God and ask for him to tell me what I need to do, what, I, what my faith needs to be. And all the while, we, all we have to do is seek the word of God. Go into the word of God and look for God and he'll be there and we'll find him. And the way that we find God is to obey the word of God. Go back to James chapter two, verses 17 and 18. That's also faith by itself. If it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So we're going back to this concept of faith and works and grace and how all that interplays. Faith by itself, but does not have works, is dead. What he's saying here, it's more than just believing. And it's more than just acknowledging who God is. It's acting upon that belief. We seek God by reading his word. We find God by obeying that word, by acting upon our faith. So our faith is a response to what we believe. And he goes on to talk about Abraham. Verse number 21 of James chapter two, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. So what he's saying here, look at that the part I have underlined. Faith was working together with his works. We, think, we look at faith and works and many people in the world look at those things as that they're mutually exclusive. And they're not. They go hand in hand. He says, faith was made perfect by works. It was the things that Abraham did that made his faith perfect. Because God spoke to him, he believed it, and he did what God told him to do. And so therefore, the scripture was fulfilled that said that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And so for this reason, we're justified by works and not by faith only. So what does a faith in action look like? Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Verse seven, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. What's going on in this verse? Faith. Faith is what's going on in this verse. By faith, Noah, What did Noah do by faith? Well, first of all, he was divinely warned by God. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, Noah received the word of God. God divinely warned him, I'm gonna bring a flood upon the world. I'm gonna destroy all life. And so what did Noah do? He moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. You go all throughout the book of Hebrews 11, what are you gonna see? By faith, Abel did this. By faith, Enoch did this. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Sarah did this. What did they do? They did something. They had action. It wasn't just believing what God said. It was doing, it was a response to what they believed. And that's what we see in Noah here. Genesis chapter six, verse eight says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So was Noah, Noah was saved by grace, right? It was the grace of God. Yes, but we've already talked about what the grace of God is. It's simply God's desire to save us and him doing something upon, to act upon that desire. We've also talked about that we have access to God's grace by faith. So Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God said, Noah, there's gonna be a flood. There's gonna be some water. There's gonna be some mud. Take off your hat, take off your coat, grab Shem, Ham, Japheth, build yourself a boat. I'm not the only one that's heard that song, I know. Okay, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God told Noah, this is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna bring the flood and this is what you have to do to avoid being killed in that flood. And Noah believed God. And verse 22 of Genesis 6, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so he did. He obeyed. He sought God. He had faith in the word of God and he obeyed it. And so he was saved. What's that look like for you and I? Let's boil it down to the fun, fundamental foundation of our, of our faith, and that is obedience to the gospel. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Very simple, very straightforward, the word of God. Here's Jesus saying, this is what it takes to come to me. He's setting the terms. He's setting the conditions. You go preach the gospel. You go tell the world about me and what I've done. And then you baptize them. And if they believe that and they're baptized, they'll be saved. There's that conditional statement, if then. He who believes is baptized will saved. He who believes not will be condemned. If then, setting the terms, setting the conditions. But so many people will say, well, if, I'm, if I have to be baptized to be saved, then I'm working for myself. I'm earning my salvation. That's not at all what's happening here. We're not earning anything. In Colossians chapter two, verse 12, it says, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God. Exactly what we're talking about here, except this isn't a work of man, it's a work of God. And we're having faith in the working of God. We're accessing God's grace through faith. Faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Just like God can raise Jesus Christ from the dead, he can raise you and I from spiritual death to be raised and walk in newness of life. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So we follow the example of faith, this, this pattern, you will, of faith that we see in Noah. God had grace towards Noah. Noah was a righteous man. God wanted to save him. He extended his grace. Noah, I'm gonna bring a flood. That's how he told him how to be saved. You build the ark. Noah believed that. He heard the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Noah, obe Noah obeyed that. Noah was saved. 
God has extended his grace towards us in the form of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be saved, so he's given us the way to do that. And he told us how to do that. You have faith in the operation of God. You have faith in the working of God. You be obedient to baptism, and you believe in me, I'll save you from your sins. We believe that, we're baptized, we say He sets the conditions, and we come to him, and he saves us. What does a faith that pleases God look like? I believe we've learned that, based on the scriptures this morning, that a faith that pleases God is, number one, it has to be a true faith. Not a faith that we define, not a faith that's nebulous and individual to each person, but a faith that is truly pleasing to God. It has to mean something. It has to be founded in the truth of God's word. We must come to God through Jesus Christ, and we must do it on his terms, not our own. We have to meet him where he's asked us to meet him. And he's willing and able to save us. Our faith starts with belief in God and acknowledging all that he is and all that he can be for us. And our faith is realized when we act on our belief in the word of God, just like Noah, just like Abraham, just like Moses, just like all the heroes of faith that we read of in the scriptures. And I don't know where you stand with God this morning. You may be in a place where you've never been obedient to the gospel that we talked about. Understand and realize God will not drag you by the scruff of the neck. He is not going to force you to obey him. He wants you to want him. He wants you to desire to be a part of him, to be a part of your life. But he won't force you to do it. You have to make the decision to come to him and come to him on his terms this morning. If you've been sufficiently taught in that and want to be baptized, we want to offer that this morning. You may have something going on in your life right now that maybe you have a lack of faith in. Maybe you need the prayers of this church for forgiveness of sins, for encouragement, for strength, whatever the case may be. We stand ready to assist you if you'll come have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.